Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. So, Jeff, we haven't spoken in a couple weeks because you've been on assignment, haven't you? (laughs) I've been on assignment. I've been out of the country, like on big assignment, not just I'm going to go away for a weekend. Uh, My family and I, we took a big trip to, where did we go? Paris and Italy. I know one is a country and one is a city. So (laughs) (laughs) Paris, Rome, Tuscany, Venice, and then back home. Uh, A little over two weeks gone. You're very tired. You're jet lagged. You got home two days (laughs) ago. your, Your luggage hasn't arrived. Um, you have the typical look of the international traveler. And of course, you being on the West Coast of the United States, it's like when I lived in New York and I went to Europe, it was only like a six-hour difference, but you've got a Mm nine-hour difference. So that makes it even harder. I I find I haven't traveled internationally in many years, but when I do, it takes about one day for each hour of time zone difference to overcome the jet lag. Oh, Lord. I'm <laughs> I'm in for it then because there was a nine hour difference. Yeah. Um, so so obviously we, we want to talk about the photography element and yes, there's a couple of things I want to get to. But first, I want some numbers. How many photos did you take when you were there? I know you haven't edited anything. You haven't sorted very much. You've been posting a little bit on social media, but this is all. This is something that's going to take weeks. In fact, this could be another episode in a couple of months of what's the process to edit and process. But what are the numbers? Yeah, definitely. All right. So uh, according to Lightroom, I have 2,967 photos. And that is from uh, both cameras that I took, my Fuji X-T3 and Fuji X-100V and my iPhone, of course. And that number's a little bit squishy because the X-100V shoots RAW plus JPEG. And when I was importing those images, um, because it, they're, they're just saved to one card – and it was easier to just import all of those and then I'll sort out the JPEGs later. So Lightroom doesn't present them as a single image like Photos does? Because when you import a pair, a raw JPEG pair for Photos, it's a single image. No, it does not. Uh, and I can't really understand why. Um, and I should mention this is just using the the regular Lightroom, not Lightroom Classic. But I think the same is true in Classic. I'd have to check again. But uh, no, it, it shows them as two separate images. And um, there isn't even a good way to just say, just show me the RAWs or just show mm. me the JPEGs. So yeah. it's a it's annoying. And you know, I could have spent time trying to filter those out at the time, but like I said, I had no real expectation that all of those were going to get uploaded to the cloud anyway because of you know various hotel Wi-Fi and things oh, like that. Oh, you were doing this while you were away. This is before you came home. Yeah. I took my laptop with me. Um, I considered just taking my iPad, which would have been better in terms of, of weight and bulk. But my iPad, my 11-inch iPad Pro, um, only has 256 gigs of storage, and that felt a little bit tight. I figured it was a lot easier just to bring the the MacBook Pro with me and that allowed me to import things directly into Lightroom, make uh, backup copies to a little portable SSD just for good safekeeping, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and it allowed me to do a little bit of editing. So I would say I've you know edited maybe you know, 12% of my shots, just things that that I wanted to see how they turned out and stuff to share. 
And as I said, you did share some stuff on social media and you'll put some links in the show notes. You had some pretty nice photos, particularly from Italy, more than Paris. I, I didn't see a lot of your Paris photos, except we'll talk about the Eiffel Tower photo at the crack of dawn. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the photos from Italy, you had the really nice golden hour, earthy tones and all that. Yeah, I feel really fortunate that the conditions that we had in Italy were good photographically. And so, you know, it, it's important to, to remember that that this was a family vacation. So this wasn't me, you know, going on like a photo workshop or, or something like that. And so a lot of the the pictures that I've shared and a lot of those sort of morning shots or sunset shots were times that I just went out on my own. And of course, it's summer, which meant for me to get up and get the sunrise, I was waking up at 4.30, walking a mile to the location so that when the sun actually came up at like 5.22, I'd be there in place. Right. So that was that was a lot of work. That was also very tiring. Yeah. OK. But now you're saying it's a family <laughs> vacation and um, mm-hmm. I really appreciate it that you've taken a photo of all the gear you took. That does not look like the amount of gear one would take on a family vacation. This looks more like you're going to a very complicated photo shoot. What was the weight? I'm sure you weighed all this. That is a very good question. I don't remember the weight, but there was a last minute weight consideration because I, well, so I, I screwed up with the weight and the size actually. Um, the the plan was to have everything on board. So have, you know, like a small rolling suitcase with clothes and everything. And then um, I had my, my Shimoda backpack that would let me carry all my stuff. And um, it was literally the night before when I realized that, that there were weight restrictions. And so, for example, one of the things that I did not take with me was my Peak Design travel tripod, which is small and, and fairly light, but I couldn't work that into my bag, my, my carry-on bag. Right. And so um, I ended up having to check my rolling bag and so knowing that that was going to be checked luggage, I left my Peak Design tripod at home. I brought an older, less expensive uh, three-legged thing uh, tripod that I had uh, bought for a trip to Hawaii a while, a while ago and put that in my checked luggage. So if my baggage got lost, it wouldn't be that much of a of a loss because – I would yeah, that's something to consider. Yeah, I, I do notice that you. So you did bring two cameras because you don't. You got to have two cameras. One's not enough. Plus your iPhone, but you only have two lenses <laughs> there. Correct. That's correct. So I, I really debated on bringing two cameras. Actually, one of the things that really guided me on this was our episode with Scott Kelby when he was talking about his travel photography book and how he said basically, you know, bring sort of a versatile zoom lens and then maybe like one more wide lens. And so what I brought was my 18 to 135 and then I also brought my 52 millimeter f1.4 um, because I I like that as my, my prime lens. Right. And so – my plan was to just just do that. But the X100V, it's like so small and so compact. I figured I can bring it. It won't take up very much space, won't take up, won't take up very much weight. And there was also that redundancy of if something happens to one of my cameras, I have a backup body. Right. You're not going to want to buy a camera over there if something happens. 
Seriously, yeah, yeah. yeah. And actually, well, you don't have a backup body; you have a backup camera because it's not doesn't have interchangeable lenses. But at least you point. have a camera. Yeah, exactly. And actually, that turned out to be really great because. Um, in terms of what I was carrying with me, uh, I brought my little Peak Design sling that we've talked about before, right? And that you know that fit either my XT3 and the extra lens or the the X100V, and it really depended on the day. On days that I didn't really need to be quote unquote photographic, like things where I I wanted a telephoto zoom, then. I would just bring the X100V and it, it was a little bit lighter, uh, maybe gave me more t- room to put in a jacket when I was in France because it was a little bit cooler in France. Yeah. And so that that gave me flexibility. So I think I would say you know half the time I, I was carrying one camera, half the time I was carrying the other depending on where we were going to go. Okay. I want to ask you something. Did you ever go out yes. and not think of taking pictures? Without a oh, camera, that's... just say, I'm just going to walk around and look instead of looking through the viewfinder. That because is a very I, good question. I kind of get the feeling with nearly 3,000 pictures that this was a photo trip more than anything else. And that you're kind of – it's like having blinders on at times, right? When you're always mm-hmm. imagining how you're going to frame what's around you instead of just experiencing it. No, that's a very good question, very good point. I don't think I ever did go out with the – the specific intention of not taking any photos. The closest to that would be having the X100V as something that would be something slightly nicer than my iPhone. But it well, turned out – A lot out, nicer than the iPhone I think in terms, yeah, of, yeah. in terms of photo quality and the quality of the lens, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. And you know, like, like I said, I took some you know five hundred and eighty some shots uh, with the iPhone, and so you know the iPhone was also a great camera to have. But every once in a while, and actually, I found myself oftentimes like like maybe when the rest of the group wanted to do some shopping or something that I wasn't really interested in, uh, I really enjoyed putting the X one hundred V into one of the the black and white presets and just. Just trying to, you know, look for shadows and light and odd things, and just trying to do something different. Um, so, so yeah, I guess I was kind of in a photographic mindset the whole time. It just sort of was a level of like, am I sort of all in on photography here, or am I just casually looking for possibilities? Yeah, because I'm thinking that with all of the commitment you made to packing that gear, to selecting the gear and packing it and carrying it and checking it out to make sure you have all the plugs and adapters and cables and dongles and everything, if you didn't have the camera, it would be kind of a bit of FOMO at times. You go outside and it's like, rats, I'm only in Paris for a week and I missed this photo, that kind of thing. Yeah, 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 there's some of that. There's some of that. And, you know, I think just – Part of of my reasoning for going and and maybe this is like a photographer's sickness, right? You're like, I'm gonna be in some <laughs> of the most amazing looking places in Europe. Yeah. I didn't ever wanna just say, Oh, I missed this great opportunity because I didn't have a camera or I didn't have, you know, a good camera. And so I think there's probably a space in the world where I would be like, oh, you know what? That's fine. But 
That really wasn't the case this time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So one of the things you wanted to do is get the Eiffel Tower at sunrise. And if you get across from the Eiffel Tower, the sun comes up behind the Eiffel Tower. What mm-hmm. a great idea to take a photo, wasn't it? What an amazing place. You go to the the, the Trocadero, yep. which is just across the Seine, and it, it's just this, this great plaza, and there are water fountains, and it's an amazing shot. And here's the thing. I did not do <laughs> the research that I should have. And I think this was also some of that tension of, of uh, vacation versus, versus photo trip because when I got up there, the Trocadero was covered in construction. There were no fountains. Half of it was, was covered with fencing. Um, they're currently repainting the Eiffel Tower and so – Th- there's some scaffolding on it. But when I got there early in the morning before sunrise, you know, one of the great things about the Eiffel Tower is it's, it's lit up at night. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, only some of it is lit up at night right now. Right. And so I I showed up and, and just had that moment of kicking myself for not doing more research. And we were actually at the Eiffel Tower the previous day, but that was just – to go up in the Eiffel Tower, right, and you know, I I didn't see what the Trocadero was because I was focused on on being at the Eiffel Tower, and quite honestly, I was focused on just dealing with so many people. It was so crowded. I I can't say it was a great experience at the Eiffel Tower because there were so many people, and so when I showed up, I I ordered an Uber and they dropped me off uh, right there at the Trocadero, and I was just sort of crushed because <laughs> I did not have the shot that I had in mind. And it was actually a really good lesson because then yep. I'm there. I have cameras. What am I going to do? Yeah. So what did you do? Me, so, I would I would head north and follow the avenues that go up there. Really fascinating. You go by a couple of museums, the Musée Guimet, which is oriental art. Um, the Petit Palais, the Cinematheque, you go up there, you've got these tree-lined avenues, and it's a nice area that then becomes very residential with those six-story typical buildings. Mm, that does sound nice. I did not but you do didn't that. go that way. <laughs> I did not do that. Well, so, so what was interesting, I mean, first of all, just like being right there, um, we'll obviously put a, a, a picture in the show notes, but um, part of, of the fencing they had little windows cut out with with bars, not bars, mm. but like a little lattice, uh, so that if you are there, you could look at sort of roughly eye level and still see the Eiffel Tower. And maybe this is just a thing that is all over Paris, but there are a bunch of people who had put padlocks on there, like you know, romantic, uh, you know, put the locks on the bridge type of a thing. And so I tried a couple of shots of, you know, sort of looking at those and looking through there. And what I ended up doing, my my favorite shot from that morning, there were a few guys, and remember, this is five o'clock in the morning, uh, five, five thirty. Um, there were this group of guys who had clearly been out drinking or partying all night and they had just shown up and they wanted to see the Eiffel Tower at sunrise. And one of them climbed up onto this pylon and just took a, a picture with his cell phone. And I managed to snap a shot of him taking a shot of that. And so rather than having the picture in my head, which was 
you know, a nice landscape shot with lots of, you know, perspective and angles and, you know, the, 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 the ground on the Trocadero has this great sort of grid pattern. Uh, it, I mean, it, it's beautiful and I could do none of that. So what I ended up with was more of a character of the moment and there's a person in it. And so like I ended up getting something unique when I went to look for the shot that so many people have already gotten. Exactly. So I I kind of consider that a success. Mm-hmm. Um, so so then w- w- what I did do is I, I I went around the block and went down um, closer toward the Eiffel Tower and tried to do some photography in the water, like like reflections in the water there. And I think with you know, some minimal success. But um, you know, after that, basically walked over to where where the tower itself is and just had to remind myself that all right, maybe this wasn't exactly what I had in mind, but I'm still standing on a bridge over the Seine with the Eiffel Tower and just needed to you know, take a moment and, and realize there are worse things that, that I could be doing then. So it was, it was good to just recognize being there. Yeah, you recognize your disappointment at not getting the shot that you wanted, but then you realize that there's so much more around you. I mean, at that hour of the day, there's not a lot of people around, so you can get a lot of photos of – yeah. Of the tower, of the, the Champ de Mars, the park behind it. Um, mm-hmm. So you, you do – there's always opportunities. And yeah. I, I think I think it's – yes, there are times where you really absolutely want a thing and you're going to stay three days to get it and that's understandable maybe if you're a pro particularly. But otherwise, you're on vacation. It's, you know – I mean I know the photography is important but there's so much more. Now, did you go to one exactly. of my favorite parts of Paris, the Jardin de Luxembourg? Chantin de Luxembourg. Luxembourg Garden. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if we did. Okay. It's this long garden on the south of the Seine, uh-huh. um, behind the Senate building, and it's big, and it's got these different areas and the long grass fields and these fountains where you see the 19th century kids playing with the little um, sailboats and things. It's a wonderful garden. I oh, used to work yes, near I there, and I love that place. I think we did, Yes. Because um, because that's the kind of place where you're going to get a lot of people doing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm just looking at my my uh, my maps app, and uh, yes, yes, we did because I, I remember the the kids in the sailboats and and all of that. Yeah. Um, and did you see although, the Statue of Liberty there? Uh, yes. There's a small version of the Statue of Liberty. Mm-hmm. Off yeah, in a side in the garden. It's not in the center or anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, that was the time of the day that I didn't actually take any pictures other than just like a few with my cell phone. Um, because I think that was, I mean, it was starting to get get warm and uh, late in the day and we were hungry and, you know, mm. all of those sort of sort of travel things, too. Um, but yes, yes, that was beautiful. Okay. So I want to just talk about one photo that you've shown me here, this panorama of Florence. Uh, is this an iPhone or is this with one of the Fujis? This is this is with my Fuji XT3. This is and an amazing panorama. The the colors of the sky at sunset, the lights on the the churches, and the the lights reflecting off the river. It's just a wonderful shot. Well, thank you, thank you. I um, so w- what's interesting is that I did not have many opportunities for sunset photos. 
largely because, again, you know, I was with the family and, you know, so, you know, we would be going out to dinner or doing something else. Um, and, and this was one where I knew that I wanted to go up to the uh, Palazzo, Palazzo Michelangelo. Um, I think I'm saying that the right way, uh, it, where, where you have this this great view of Florence. Yeah. And and I basically said to the family, I was like, okay, I don't know what we're doing tonight, but I'm going to be here. If you want to be here with me, <laughs> fine. And they that's all, the annoying photographer. That's the annoying photographer. And and basically, they were very polite, and they were like, well, that looks like a lot of fun for you, and we will see you when you come back because they <laughs> they, they don't want to hang out with me while I'm taking pictures. Um, and actually, it, it was better that they didn't because it was packed. I'll also put up a um, a picture of, of, of the crowd behind me. And basically, I was like at a railing and I found a spot on the railing. Somebody you know, took their cell phone picture and then walked away. And then I, I took that spot and basically just sort of quietly and politely defended it for an hour uh, so that I wouldn't have to move. And then... To actually get that shot, I made a whole bunch of um, bracketed panorama shots. So, mm-hmm. so w- what you're looking at is a collection of you know five five brackets um, combined as as an HDR, and then move the camera a little bit, and five more, and five more, five more to get the full range of it. And Lightroom has. A, a command that's basically HDR panorama. So I can select all those and it just builds it. Right. Um, but it was nice because I, I, I just had that spot and I could just, you know, wait for the sun to come down. And it turned out it was just, it was a gorgeous sunset. There wasn't a whole lot of clouds going on, yeah, which would have made it even better. Yeah, um, but the I colors, also, the, 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 the gradients of the colors are just wonderful. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was really happy the way that turned out. And actually that allows me to bring up something else that in terms of all the stuff that I brought, um, I did buy one of those platypods, which is a little plate right. that has little um, legs that you, you can put onto it. And I used that instead of my tripod. I, I brought my tripod with me, but there were so many people, it would have been a little awkward to set up the tripod. And so just having that thing set up, it gave me stability. I had the ball head from the from the tripod so I could just smoothly, you know, pan it back and forth and that's all I needed. And I think that was probably one of my best purchases for this trip was to get the platypod. Came in okay. handy a lot. Okay. So we're going to you're going to have you're going to process some more photos and you're going to add a bunch of photos to the show notes and you'll post some to Instagram. Of course, you can't really post a panorama like that to Instagram. Not um, re- well, you can, but it just you, you'd have to cut terrible. it into like four different <laughs> squares to fit it cuz it's very wide. Yeah. Um so what lessons do you take away from this? Cuz this is the first big trip you've done in a while, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah, what with definitely. COVID and other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had all new cameras this time, a whole lot of new gear. What do you take? What's the takeaway? The takeaway is, um, a couple of things. One things I would have done different. Um, I probably would have bought a different bag, like a larger bag that I could just carry everything in, um, and not have to deal with, with having carry on luggage. 
Um, and part of that is because as we record this, I'm waiting for Air France to deliver my suitcase. <laughs> it didn't It didn't make it on the plane. Uh, it's now in Seattle, which I know because I put an air tag in it. Um, but just th- there were many times when you know, we'd have to go from uh, our hotel room to the train station and maybe that would be you know half a mile or something. And it's fine kind of usually but – when you have that and you're you're wheeling it on cobbled streets, hmm. uh, especially like in Rome, it was a hundred degrees. It, it's just a lot. So so I would have preferred to to you know get one of these sort of larger photographic bags that I could also put my clothes in right. and, and just carry everything on my back. Surprisingly, even though that picture that I sent you of of like all my gear. I think I packed really well in terms of those things that I brought. The only thing that I did not use, I had a little um, like USB-C hub just as a, a as a general yeah. plug anything in. And then I had an extra battery charger for my Fuji batteries. Right. And I never ended up using that because I have a different one that just plugs into USB. And besides that, actually the stuff that I brought – was all stuff that I used. So that was was actually a surprise to okay. me. Even the Star Wars playing cards. Oh, you're right. I <laughs> forgot to use <laughs> – did, did not end up playing cards. Uh, oh, and actually surprisingly, uh, I also brought like a, a tiny pair of binoculars. And yeah, I see. We never use those. Um, I think just because I forgot that I had them. Yeah. But, did did um, you use your AirPods Max? Because that's something that I wouldn't have brought, given the size and weight. I did actually. Well, it, mostly for the plane oh, ride the over plane. and the plane ride yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah. Just Fair because point. they're so good, and and the noise uh, cancellation yeah. was so good. Um, that was definitely a, a bigger thing to carry. And surprisingly, I also used my drone which I'll talk about in our snapshots. I brought it, only used it two days when I was in Tuscany because I couldn't really put a drone up in the air in the middle of Paris. Maybe I could have, but not something that I would feel comfortable doing whatsoever. But that was even small enough that it worked out in my bag. My guess is they don't like drones in Paris because you may not know this, but you're not allowed to fly over Paris at all. Planes oh, don't I did fly not know to Paris. You, the only time you'll see a helicopter is if there's an emergency. They have strict limitations on flying over Paris. So I'm guessing drones wouldn't be welcome. Yeah, yeah. The the only other drone I saw when I was there in Florence taking that that sunset picture, somebody put a drone up in the sky, yeah. um, and drove all the dogs crazy <laughs> that were nearby. <laughs> and strangely, well, that place in Florence is one of those places that everyone goes. I've been there. Um, yeah. You, you've got the kind of park behind you and then the little palace thing. It's like mm-hmm. a, a balustrade and it looks over and everyone goes there. And when I went there, this is a very long time ago and this is pre-Instagram and pre-internet and all that. So you wouldn't get crowds. But I could see from yours that there were a fair number of people, which might not even have been as many as there would have been had the weather been more um, more hospitable because – yeah. Your your temperatures there were very hot, so maybe people weren't traveling. But I, I guess this is just the way of the world now that if you want to see anything that people see, it's going to be overwhelmed. 
you yeah. did send me a photo. I told you don't even bother to go see the Mona Lisa um, when you get to the Louvre. And you did send me a photo <laughs> of it off in the distance behind the crowd with all these people holding up their cell phones to take a picture just to like prove they're there. Yep. And it's just, you know. It's different. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What What, what was funny was uh, that evening in Florence, I'd be taking my pictures and – just out of the corner of my eye, I would see like a cell phone over my shoulder, you know, someone just like reaching up to get that shot. Mm. Um, and I was in the way, but, you know, there was like enough space next to my head. So every once in a while, there'd be a cell phone like right next to my – right next to my cheek. But, yeah. um, you know, I don't know. It's It reinforces the idea that when you're traveling for any reason, you know, you got to have patience and you got to be willing to be flexible and, you know, whether that's photographic or not. There, there are a lot of times when I felt I had to be flexible photographically and then also just – especially because it was the end of June and early July. So yeah, I knew busy season. It was just going to be a busy season. And, and just from talking to people, it seemed like this is busier now than it has been because there's so much pent-up demand for travel over the last few years. Well, there's two things going on. One, there's pent-up demand. But on the other hand, it's probably less busy than it was because uh, all the airlines in Europe are canceling flights because they don't have enough staff due to COVID. Yeah. So yeah. there might have actually been fewer people than it would normally have been at this time of year. Oh, wow. Okay. Because I, I read in the news today, they've just told uh, airlines to not offer any more tickets for the rest of the summer at Heathrow Airport in London. So wow. they've got flights that are sold, but they're running into difficulty um, mm -hmm. getting enough staff for the baggage, for the cleaning, things like that. Um, so they're trying to cut back now, and that could have tempered it down a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. The, just the one thing that stands out for me is just you took so much stuff. I mean, <laughs> I'm just looking yeah. at this photo like I don't know what I would have done differently, but I wouldn't have brought all that. I mean, I would have brought an iPad. Um, I wouldn't have brought a laptop. I would have brought one camera probably, though, you know, with my two, the Leica and my Fuji, I might have brought two. But still, mm -hmm. it's so much stuff. And, and it just makes me think, you know, if, if we go on a local trip around here to take photos, I'll take a camera in my Peak Design Sling. I'll maybe take – if I take the like, I'll take a few different color filters, but I don't bring anything else. If I take the Fuji, I'll bring two lenses, a prime and a zoom, but I never really take a lot. Now, if I did go for a week or two, obviously I'd think differently, but don't we just have too much stuff? <sighs> yeah, sort of, but – this didn't feel like a whole lot of stuff. I mean, it, it looks like a lot more stuff now. It, it packs up fairly small. I mean, like some of the things like the SSDs that I brought. I basically had two SSDs just for redundancy. So I have one in my backpack sure. and one in the other one. Um, and then just because I had my laptop, I have a tiny SSD that has a duplicate of that. Um, but could you, know, you instead have just brought a whole bunch of SD cards instead of worrying about loading them uh, like, can't you get an SSD with an SD card reader? So, so you back them up onto the SSD. Surprisingly, no. Like they do. I exist. know there was there one was, a few years ago. There was a product called the the Narbox G N A R, and it looked amazing. It was expensive, and uh, at some point last year, they basically imploded and and okay. uh, couldn't couldn't stay alive. Um, I, I've I've had various you know like little portable drives. Uh, WD used to make one, and 
they all have a lot of different compromises. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think if I wanted to be a little more dedicated to traveling lighter, I would have considered getting uh, a, like an iPad Pro with more capacity so that I wouldn't have to bring the laptop. Yeah. That would mean that that I would not have the ability to make HDRs and, you know, do panoramas. But you can do but, that when you get home. But you can do that when you get home. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'm not criticizing. Yeah. I'm just curious to see how much no, stuff no, no, you brought. Um, like I see at least five Fuji batteries and probably there's one in each camera. So that's seven. Did you ever use more than one battery in a day? Uh, a couple of times, yeah. And and also, um, to, to be honest, like some of my batteries are now starting to get older, so they don't right. they don't have as much as much time. Right. Um, I think in terms of um, what else is there? Um, oh, I, I debated bringing my my ND filters. Mm. Um, like like that seemed like like an extravagance, but there were a few times when it was really great to put on a really dark ND filter, set up the the platypod, and just do really long exposures. So that ultimately was worth it, even though it seemed like, oh, you know, am I really gonna am I really gonna take this? So. Doesn't the X100V have a built in ND filter? I think it it's does. two stops. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it it does. It's actually really quite good. Um, mm-hmm. And because I don't have any adapters that I could have put my other right. ND filters on, right. Okay, let's move yeah. on to our snapshots. You said you already have your snapshot. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, so my snapshot is is the drone that I brought. Um, so I my previous drone was a, a Mavic Pro, like a original model Mavic Pro, and it's been great for what I've needed it for. But it's big, and so because I knew that I would be in Tuscany and I knew that I would have opportunities to fly a drone, I sold that and I bought a DJI Mini Two, which is a really tiny drone. It actually is like one gram under the weight required for you to have to register it with the uh, with the FAA. Right. Um, but you know, mostly it's small and light. I think it's two hundred and forty nine grams. Uh, the the controller, you know, with with the sticks that you control it with, is actually a little bit larger and heavier. And then I have two extra batteries for it, and. It seemed like a bit of an indulgence, but when we were in Tuscany, we have a friend, actually a neighbor of ours who lives in Tuscany. And so I knew that that she would allow me to fly my drone to my heart's content and so so I did. And so I, I flew it once at her property and then the next morning when I went out to do a, a sunrise shoot in Tuscany – I ended up on this sort of side gravel road and just stopped and, and got some footage. I'll, I'll put something in the show notes for that too. Um, it was roughly, I think, $600 um, t- to get the combo that I did that has the extra batteries. Uh, wow. But it didn't take up a whole lot of space. Um, th- there's a new model, the DJI Mini 3 Pro that was just announced and is just now shipping, but I wouldn't have gotten that in time. And it's almost three times as expensive. So it's much better in many ways, but this was small and light. And especially given that because living in Seattle, there are restrictions to where you can fly. Mm. I didn't want to, you know, get something super duper because I, I don't fly a drone enough 
but it was worth it for me to take it on this trip. Right. So, Kirk, what do you have this week? Well, my snapshot is a few snapshots. Um, <laughs> if you've been watching the news anywhere, you've seen these astounding images from the James Webb Space Telescope of oh. uh, galaxies billions of light years away, and it's just fascinating. And it's it's you know we 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 remember when Hubble came out and we were seeing things and they looked sharp, but then a lot of them were fuzzy. And then uh, some of these pictures, like the. They, they are so – I'm looking at one here. It's something like four and a half billion light years away, which means it's four and a half billion light years ago when you think about that. That's really important that this is light from four and a half billion light years ago before there were humans on Earth. And it's this one photo with literally hundreds of galaxies and each galaxy has billions of stars and planets. And the scale of this is just stunning. And you remember that one – um, the, the Hubble photo we saw with the sort of the cloud nebula. Um, yes. There's one of these here. It's called the Carina Nebula, and it's a similar sort of thing. I don't know if it's the same one that Hubble shot, actually. Um, but it's just it, – it just – you can't look at this and not be in awe. So we'll put a link in the show notes to the NASA website where they have these photos. I don't know how many they're going to be uh, publishing. They're really – drip feeding them very slowly, but I think there's quite a few that we'll see um, over time. Yesterday, um, July 11th, so we're recording on the 12th, um, President Biden and Vice President Harris did a presentation to show the first photo. So by the time this podcast is released, uh, there'll probably be more. Now you can get, you can download the full resolution uncompressed versions of these photos if you want to use them as desktop pictures or whatever. And it's just stunning that photography can do something like this. Yes. Yeah. I actually, just because of the time's difference, I haven't seen the new ones that came out today yet. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. And also um, I, I saw some people mention that uh, there's a, a phenomenon, lens dilation, I think. Maybe that that's the wrong term. But but basically, you can see stars that are behind other stars because of the way this collects the light, and so it's just just incredible. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's something to do with the gravity of the stars that makes them bend a little bit. Uh, I'm on the yes. page. It doesn't exactly say what it is. Um, but it's it's it seems to be sort of like a Doppler effect for light, something like that. Yeah, gravitational lensing. Maybe that's the gravitational lensing. Yeah, so it distorts right. some of them, and they look like they look like I don't know. They look like little sperm cells swimming around there. Yeah, yeah, little little uh, amoeba. Yeah, yeah it, it's pretty it's pretty crazy. Um, if I can find the link again, I also saw there was just like this one minute video where someone from NASA was showing this in relation to other shots of the same area right. from from previous things. And yeah. just the, the resolution is amazing. And then at the end of the video, she zooms out and you realize what we're looking at is like just the tiniest little tiny speck of the sky. And well, the guy who presented it from NASA um, yesterday on the 11th, he says, imagine a grain of sand on the tip of your finger at arm's length. At what that represents in the whole field of vision you see, that's what you're seeing in this photo. Wow. Just just amazing. Okay. Science is cool. Science Photography is cool. science is cool. To photography <laughs> science too. All right. Until next time. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. 
You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app. 